on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him or her come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within them. This is the scripture for tonight. We're going to dig in a bit to that. Our church weekend away back in first, I think it was the first weekend of April, I think one and two April, but end of March, beginning of April, we were, um, Ian brought a number of things about the water of life for us, and we've looked at a few of the scriptures around that, and here's this one, John 7, whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow, it's not a thought, it's not a suggestion, it's an an assertion. If you're good and behave yourselves and do everything right, maybe living water will flow from you. No. Whoever believes in me. Yeah? Do you own that one? Whoever believes in me. So we need the vicar or the service leaders to, to flow with living water, or the worship leader to flow with living water. That's what we need, isn't it? No. We need all of us to flow. To receive that flow, to be in that flow, to release that flow. Whoever believes in me, when I was preparing, I got the sense, I was, oh, okay, that's fine. Um, that's verse 38, it's the key verse, isn't it, Lord? And he said, don't, don't cut the scripture in half. I said, but Lord, there's verse 38 that's got the important, don't cut the scripture in half. Oh, okay. So, the context for what Jesus is saying can often inform what he says much more than we realize. So looking at where and when he's saying what he's saying, because like all good preachers, he doesn't just speak out the word, he looks at who he's speaking to and shapes it to them. Where are we at? What is going on? So, on the last and greatest day of the feast, the feast, the feast, what? What are we talking about? So we need to go back to verse 1 of chapter 7. We're going to go 1 through 5, is that right? Paul, but we got 1 through, that's fine. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea, because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. So by verse 37, he's in Jerusalem at the temple. In Judea. In verse 1, he's purposely staying away because they want to kill him. Ooh. But here he is standing up in the temple and saying with a, well, saying quietly, so that nobody, oh, sorry, no, it doesn't say, it says, says with a loud voice. He's drawing attention to himself, but in verse 1, he's purposely avoiding. 
going to Judea. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, now is this Jesus' physical siblings or is it the brothers of the disciples? It's not clear. The answer, as ever, is probably yes. Both and. Both and. It's nice to have new people in. The old jokes now work. That's great. <laughs> That's great. They're saying to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea. Jesus, you really should go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. There are people in Judea who love you, who know you, and they want to see your miracles. Go. Yeah, they want to kill me down there. There's no fear in Jesus because he's Jesus. There's no sin in him. There's concern. And actually you go to Gethsemane and he's going, going, Dad, this, I don't like this. Can we do it another way? But there's no sinful fear in him. But here he is. So what's the feast? Feast of the Tabernacles. Okay. Hold that thought. Verse 4 and 5. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers do not believe in him. So it's actually somebody going up to him going, go on then, prove it. That's the context for why he's even at the feast. Interesting. Interesting. Show yourself. You've claimed who you are, but show yourself, prove it. And here's John telling us it's because they didn't believe him. But we're at the Feast of the Tabernacles. It says this in verse 14. Not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts. Now, he appears to have gone down to Jerusalem. But it's not until halfway through the feast that he's making himself known. I think he's working his way through that being goaded to go. Because he doesn't want to go just because he's been goaded. Because in John's Gospel, he tells us he only ever does what he sees the Father doing. He only speaks what he hears the Father say. He wants to know that he's going to go to the Feast of the Temples because the Father wants him to go. Not because his brothers have gone, Oi, you're a fraud. His heart's got to be clean. For going, And it's not until halfway through the feast did he go to the temple courts. But of course, as soon as he goes to the place, he teaches. Because he sort of can't do anything else, because that's who he is. He is the word of God, so incarnate, so therefore he's, it's going to spill out of him. And as he takes part in this pilgrimage, the pilgrimage of the Feast of the Tabernacles, he's intentionally coming closer to the Holy of Holies, to the presence of God, and therefore this stuff spills from him. And he teaches. There's the context. He's being goaded. He's going to the Feast of the Tabernacles, and he's even waited until halfway through the festival. This is not Jesus rushing in. This is not Jesus taking out. You know, he's, it's, he's waiting. This is considered, thoughtful, prayerful. And then he stands up. And actually, verse, seven, verse 43 shows us that Jesus divided opinion. 
The people were divided because of him. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but look through. Various reactions in chapter 7. Oh, he's a good man. Oh, I think he's demon-possessed. Oh, I think he's a prophet. I think he's Messiah. I think he's a teacher. I think he's dangerous. I think we should arrest him. I think we should kill him. So from good man to Messiah to let's kill him. All stops in between. Sound familiar? It's what the world thinks of Jesus now. Jesus divides opinion. Now those of us that know him and love him and see his amazing love and his grace, and we look at the world and we go, well, why don't they believe? It's so flipping obvious to us. Because we've believed and taken hold and he's taken hold of us. And isn't it wonderful? Apart from when it's a struggle. But even then it's still wonderful. And we don't get it when people don't get it. But we were talking earlier, there's, we didn't get it for a while. No? Maybe you've got it the whole of your life, but you probably haven't. There are moments when, actually, what was it like not to know? Jesus divides opinion. And if we're serious about doing what Jesus does, if we're serious about being the hands and feet of Jesus and the voice of Jesus, if we're serious about listening to what the Father is telling us and being obedient to it, guess what we're going to do as a church? We're going to divide opinion. Because some people will go, that's wonderful. And other people will go, what the heck are you doing? And other people will go, ugh. If a local leader of a community stands up and says, we want to do something to bless the community, that's a good thing, isn't it? But we were told to get knotted, basically. And somebody else in the community said, but this community doesn't want to be blessed. Sort of, how dare you try and bless... And part of me goes, we want to bless the community. Oh, you'll bless us in ways we don't want to be blessed. Well, no, hang on, talk to us. It's all to do with the building, those of you who are visiting, that we're using the stairs to get to at the moment. (laughs) It's a reference to the sermon this morning. But... We will divide opinion. Jesus divided opinion. This is the context for that straightforward verse. What he said, and when he said it, is actually dynamite to his listeners. The Feast of Tabernacle is a pilgrimage. And a pilgrimage is an intentional journey to the presence of God. So these guys, for this festival, have intentionally journeyed to Jerusalem to the temple and it's a feast of tabernacles because it's a reminder of when they were in the desert and they lived in tabernacles see why do we keep the weird word for the feast actually if you could translate the word tabernacle as tent which is a bit more understandable isn't it but we use the word tabernacle somebody's trying to confuse us aren't they but there we go it's when they lived in tents, when they, the, the Israelites were moving around the wilderness. And of course, that was God's intention for them to move around the wilderness, wasn't it? No. No. God's intention was to take them into the promised land. They only ended up being a generation in the wilderness because they rebelled 
and were sinful and didn't do what the Lord said. So he, that generation didn't make it. Even Moses didn't make it. Caleb and Joshua were the only ones that got there. And Caleb was about 140 or something. He was, and Joshua was a young man at the beginning, but not at the end when he takes charge. But the Feast of the Tabernacles is about that time in the desert when they're living in the tents. And it's a pilgrimage to the promised land. It's a journey to what God is promising. So the Feast of the Tabernacles is the people coming to the place where the Holy of Holies is and remembering what happened in the desert. It's a reminder. What happened in the desert? At night, they were led by the fire of God, the Shekinah glory. And that fire led them, and they moved. When the Lord said move, they moved. If he didn't say move, what did they do? They didn't move. So that's the first thing. He led them by his presence, a pillar of fire and a pillar of um, smoke during the day. And they followed wherever that presence went. They followed wherever the presence of God went. Sound familiar? That's what we're trying to do, isn't it? That's the first thing they're remembering. The second thing is that um, he provided for them daily. Hmm? With the manna in the desert. And what happened if they held on to the manna overnight? It went off. If they tried to plan and store, it didn't work. They had to rely on him day by day. Those of you not around this morning, I was preaching on giving and finance. And, all, and we, we rely daily on provision. But we don't. As human beings, we don't, do we? We plan. I need to save so I can go to the Far East. We talked about that earlier, weren't we? And his mates didn't save, so they couldn't go with him. That was all right. He met his wife. That's a good thing. <laughs> but we plan. We save. We have this. We have that. We have but actually, do we rely on the Lord day by day, by day, by day, by day? It's not an easy place to be. But that's what the Feast of Tabernacles was about. And they were looking forward to not just when they were in tents, but when God, not just by his Shekinah glory, would be present, but would be literally in a tent with us. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. I'm sure you've heard that many times at Christmas. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, the presence. The presence of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So they're looking forward to the incarnation. What can we do? We look back to the incarnation we don't have a hope of the truth of the incarnation we have a reality that it's happened and isn't that amazing and God came and dwelt in a human body exactly so this feast of the tabernacles has all those things they're remembering but also for them looking forward and of course we are looking forward to a fuller presence of God aren't we we're looking forward to that time when he comes again and wraps history up and we dwell in his presence permanently I don't mean when we die, I mean when the, the whole shooting match is done with. The Feast of the Tabernacles was a celebration 
of messianic hope, God's leading, and salvation. Back to John 7, 37. On the last day of the feast, the greatest day of the feast, when all these things have happened, and I'll show you exactly what they did on the feast in a moment, Jesus stands up and says, remember you were in the wilderness, remember you were in the tents, remember you needed provision, remember you needed somewhere to live. If anyone's thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Let them come to me and drink. What is he saying? You're doing this religious festival, which is a good thing because you're remembering the things that have been. But look at me. I'm fulfilling this. You do know that if something is is fulfilled, it is essentially filled full. Hold on to that one. Something is fulfilled. It's not just about it, it, it's promised and therefore has happened. It's also filled full of meaning. I didn't come to abolish the law, but he fills it full of meaning. And we really understand it. Jesus is saying the Feast of the Tabernacles, wonderful. But I fill it full of its meaning because I am your hoped for Messiah I am the one that is tabernacling with you I am the one that will bring you provision I am the one that will sort everything out so in the background of what they're experiencing in the feast he lobs in this statement which doesn't necessarily mean so much to it means something to us but it means so much more to them We go, oh, that's great. And they go, whoa. What's he, hang on, what's he talking about? That's why he divides opinion. We look back and we get it. They heard it for the first time. And some went, yeah. And others went, what? And others went, no. Sound familiar? They did these three things. He did these three things at the festival. And these three things Jesus owns and fulfills. One, there was a libation, a pouring out of water, symbolic, lots of pouring out of water. And the symbolism there, we go, oh, pouring out of water, that's to do with the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Yeah, this is before Pentecost. This is Old Testament. So there's a vague understanding of the Spirit of God, but not necessarily in the way we see that image. For them, it's a pouring out of God's blessing of literally of rain onto a dry land. So that there will be harvest. An abundant harvest. They pour out gallons and gallons of water so that people will be reminded of that wonderful land that the people, they were coming into, the Israelites were coming into in Canaan, that they will be reminded that it's God's harvest and he, he sends the rain. Lord, send a spiritual rain on us, on this land, that we might see an abundant harvest. There's a libation. And look at the point that Jesus is saying this 
Who's in charge in Israel at this particular Feast of the Tabernacles? You can answer me. It's, it, it's not a trick question. I, I often do. So, I, <laughs> Who was in charge? Who was ruling Israel at the time of Jesus? Rome. So it's, it's, they're in a good place, aren't they, the Israelites? They don't even own their own land. They're not even in charge in their own nation. But Jesus is standing at the tabernacle and saying, come to me if you want water. And they've just poured out a great libation. And now he's saying, okay, there's that water or there's the water I offer, which is more. Wow. So there's a libation of pouring out. Yeah, God's been silent for 300 years, at least between the last prophet and when Jesus comes. God's not spoken. Nothing's happened. The Holy of Holies is a dry place. It's not, they're not used, you know, they're doing the religious thing, but not seeing transformation. Familiar? Hang on. I wrote a bit smaller here. They're aching for Messiah. They're in occupied territory and they're aching for the one who will release them. And Jesus stands up and goes, look at me. Do we ache for our land to have that water poured upon it? Do we ache for people to come to faith? Do we ache for a transformation? Do we really ache or actually are we happy with our own salvation and being in our highly holy huddles hanging on for heaven? Or do we ache? So there's the libation, the pouring out of the water where Jesus says, come to me all you who are thirsty. The second thing they do, well, let's just do that a bit more. So Jesus, Jesus says he is the spirit. The, the water of heaven will come. The drought will be relieved. And actually he does promise abundant harvest, doesn't he? I have come that you might have life and life in all its fullness. We're not going to put John 10.10 back up there because we come back to that verse again and again. But it's a promise. So the Spirit poured out this water of life. And of course the water flows from us. And the image is what Wendy was preaching on a few months ago on the water of life from Revelation coming from the temple. But not from the temple, because the temple of God, as Paul teaches us in Corinthians, is us. We are the living stones that are the, that's Peter, but we are the temple of God. And therefore, the water now flows in us and through us and out of us. It's the fulfillment, the filling full of the Feast of Tabernacles. The second thing they do is they light a 75-foot candlestick. Actually, they don't like the candlestick. They like the oil that's in a big menorah, the Jewish candlesticks. And it's 75 feet tall. It, it, it's flipping huge. And they light the tapers and the wicks in there. Can you imagine the heat coming off of that? Can you imagine the light coming off that? It's huge. It's higher than our roof, isn't it? Well, I'm just six foot and... Well, not ten times me to the roof, is it? Don't think so. But you know what I mean. It, 
Just that sense of light. And what led the people in the wilderness? I'm really sorry, I keep floating in and out of the temple and back to the wilderness, but that's deliberate. It's deliberate. What led them in the wilderness? The pillar of fire. And here's this huge light. And who is the light of the world? John 8, 12. Jesus is. And he's a greater light than that 75-foot flipping candlestick. And where does the light of the world now dwell? In us. So who, who is the light to the world now? It is Jesus, but who in practice is the light to the world? We are. We're the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. There's no darkness. But we all carry darkness and we need to deal, deal with that. There's light within us, but we need that light to flush out the darkness. And of course... Are there any lights in the city in Revelation? No, the presence of the Lord. There's no, no day nor night in the city of the Lord because there's the presence of the Lord who lights their way. And then thirdly, they build tabernacles. Zechariah 14, 16. The survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the king the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Set down in Scripture. This isn't a religious festival they should stop doing. It's set down in Scripture. And they build tents, and they live outside, and they live in the tents. They don't, and they build tents to represent, and here it comes. In Revelation 21, 3 and 4, it says this. I heard a loud voice coming from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. Echo of John 1. And he will, uh, they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Hallelujah. And the, the incarnation was a one-off thing that happened 2,000 years ago, wasn't it? Trick question, this one. The incarnation actually is a daily event. Because the Spirit of God, the presence of Jesus. Is it the Spirit of God or the presence of Jesus that dwells in you and me? Yes. So we should celebrate the incarnation every day. Because he dwells in us. He tabernacles in us every day. Wow. He's not confined to one body in the first century AD. He's now released through us. What a privilege. What a joy. Ready? What a responsibility. Oh, hang on. Lord, are we doing the right things today? Coming, coming into land, Jason. Coming into land. <laughs> Was that subtle enough for you? It was a hint. So, the pouring out of the water, the lighting of the fire, the tabernacling of God with his people. These three things for us are already there. The incarnation has happened and we are indwelt. There's the tabernacles. 
We are enlightened to see and overcome the darkness. There's the light of the fire of God. And we're filled with the refreshing water of life. Already. For I've given you everything you need to lead this godly and holy life. 2 Peter 1, 3. What's the response then? I don't know about you, but I think for me the response is, wow, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. So as we come to worship, can I call you? And say, so will you give thanks? Give thanks for the fact that the living water, John, can we have John 7 back up for a moment? That the living water that Jesus has promised that if we come to him and drink, he will give us, is here. Everything we need for revival. Everything we need for revival. Everything we need to see the kingdom come is already present. In you and in me. We don't need any more. Now we need him to come and the spirit from above and the spirit who is the same spirit dwelling in us and we need the two to meet. But they don't, they don't meet when he pours out. They meet when we get into the right place because he's pouring out all the time. And when we come into alignment with him, bang, that's when the pouring out comes. That's when the flame burns brighter. That's when people see Jesus dwelling among us. So as we worship, give thanks to the Lord. And can I encourage you to choose to pilgrimage, to intentionally journey deeper into the presence who is already here but to go deeper to journey deeper into the experience of his presence to yield to him and to see the kingdom come that's our prayer that's our prayer that we will see the kingdom manifest among us is the kingdom now here absolutely but we want to see the kingdom now here and experience all that he has already given us. Give thanks and choose to journey deeper in as we worship the Lord.